Welcome to the Creative Hustle Podcast. The only podcast for creative and artistic entrepreneurs. I'm Aaron Salazar, producing artistic director of Poseidon Theater Company in New York City. I'm Hassan Saeed, founder of House Urban, all natural skin and body care for the pro performer. It's time to hustle. Another episode of Creative Hustle Podcast is upon us, everyone. She's here. She's landed. So... You know, you guys, I feel, this is just like my take on it. I don't think I've ever expressed this. Okay. I feel like this is our second season. Season two. So this is like 201, right? Like 101, I feel like we covered a lot of like more sort of ground level, entry level sort of topics and we kept it a little more loose. I don't know if loose is the word, but we kind of were getting deeper into, frankly, kind of the psychology of what it is that we are doing here. Yes. Because because we are coming from a place of uh, artistry, let's just say it, Yeah, there is a lot of psychology that separates us being a straight-ahead, clear-cut corporate situation and someone that's trying to harness their creativity into something that will convert into profit. So my point here is, and that's a really good explanation, is that I'm looking at the season – and this collection of podcasts, like 201. So you did your 101 class, and now in 201, things are going to yes. get a little more advanced, a little more granular. And we're going to be talking a lot more about, less about psychology, while there's, there's still that, that moment, right? It, it never right? goes away. There's still that storyline. But it's more going to be more about theory and practice more than anything. Theory, in a lot of ways, versus practice. Right. Like, And so what better way to, for us to do that than to use examples of things that we've learned uh, just by simply doing uh, sometimes the hard way and sometimes to great success. And that being said, uh, we thought it would be important to discuss uh, content into conversion. Right. So creating content that converts into actual sales. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like sales is a weird thing that we sometimes apologize for. Yeah, and sometimes too, I think that even when we when we use terms big mar- big buzzy marketing terms like content, content and conversion i was recently like, converted right into your content go fuck yourself well well i mean you. <laughs> so no but you know what i'm saying like i i understand because the, one of the things one of the reasons i think most of us are doing this is because we didn't want to fall into a nine to five neon lit room but the truth of the matter is the general rules of sales um, is a universal thing that you have to tap into if you want to have any success because otherwise then we just have a hobby. Yeah, and and even beyond that, you know, creating content is important because it's supposed to drive your sales. But I think sometimes as creative people, we create for the sake of creating because we want to make something cool. Yeah, we or wanna, like, we just want a bunch of likes. We want likes. We want people to see things. And we want people to see what we're up to and what we're doing, which is valid, but... You know, content creation is time-consuming, and it's costly. And it also requires a great deal of missionary thought. Yeah, you You, have to plan. You have to sincerely plan, and you have to think five steps ahead. And ultimately, it's about creating, giving people an, an understanding of the experience you'll be creating for them if they choose to buy your thing. If they choose to buy your thing. And herein lies an example that Hassan thought would be advantageous to hear because I work in theater. Uh, for those that are just joining us, I, I'm the uh, founder and producing artistic director of Poseidon Theater Company, and we do theater. And I could see how it, for people who are maybe doing this with their life, uh, where maybe you're selling experiences, maybe it's an event, dot, 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 dot. How do I make this apply to me? So that being said, 
I have had great success in the sense that um, people buy tickets and come to the shows. And we sell out. So I really had to dive into how the hell do I get people who don't know me because it's not like we have famous actors. Let's talk about a lot of the assets that people have in theater. That's more commercial. Well, you know, I I would open that up. And even in – not just in theater – Brands across the board. Yes. When you don't have so in theater and film, it's the talent, right? That's right. So they, a name, the, the vehicle. A name helps. Yeah. They'll always attach a star's name to whatever vehicle. Mm-hmm. But even when we look at consumer product goods and just the world in general, we now have an entire bubble of influencers. So yes. we have people who have name recognition who are selling on behalf of these companies. Yes. Hello, proactive. Yeah. So, so. Please continue your thought there. So going with that, the initial thing that I did when I launched the company is we started with a classic and the classic in of itself has been, has, has, is continuing to be produced for the last 2,500 years. So the title itself is famous. All right. What's going to set that apart? So you had an established property. We had an established property, 100%. And there is a demographic of people, especially in New York City, that go and chase said properties. There are people who will always go see Death of a Salesman. There are people now, let's talk about something more commercial. There are people all over the country who will go see even a community theater production of Hairspray because it's an established property. Let's get a little more tangible than just Sophocles. So that was the star, and that was really what helped sell it. But what what I learned from that whole experience was, one, let's get this out of the way. Our tickets were $50, general admission. That is a very strong price for a new company. (laughs) What it said to the patrons who were coming is that they were coming to a show and they were also coming to a new company, not a showcase, not a theory, like the launch of something. And also that even in its intimacy, what we were going to offer you as an experience was a fully achieved experience. So that being said... So I want to just jump in there. Yes. And I always refer back to... Uh, our 101 season. 101. Where we talk about pricing and the value and what, what your pricing says to people. Yes. What it says about what you're offering and, and the quality of your products. Like, let's be real. We all talked about it. Who trusts deli sushi? You know what I mean? A $5 salmon roll is suspect. And even though it might be one can't help but question it. The same way that I'm sure that any of us even... Like if we bought like 50 cent chapstick, we'd be like, what's in this? Right. You know, or 25 cent soft drinks. Like that can't be good for you. So the point of that is, that was odd examples. Anyway, is setting that price instantly said something to the public. But before that, let's backtrack. So before the price, what I started with the campaign to justify said price was the beginning of the anticipation of what the show was going to be. So... There was no price, didn't even give a title, literally started with a content that was a quick little teaser. So when you say a teaser, was that a video or so was it? We had two, yeah. So we had a uh, just a graphic video with uh, text and sound. And then there was the beginning of a teaser campaign that started with something like 2,500 years ago, a story was told coming this summer very you know not for nothing but like look around you at the people who are winning the game or like movies this summer 
something happens in the woods. And then they don't even tell you what the fuck's happening. You just hear a sound. And they're just like, summer 2019. Yeah. And you're like, oh, dope. You know what I mean? Or if it's an established property, you know, the Harry Potter, obviously it was Harry Potter, but they would just be like, goom, 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 August 14. Like, whatever, dot, dot, dot. So those little things set you up for the anticipation of it. So we started in the spirit of that and just getting people ready to kind of be aware of seeing if I was getting hits and if like that style of A-B testing of content was actually even garnering people to view us. So where were you sharing this? I was sharing this specifically on Facebook. Okay. This was all initially just on Facebook. Instagram, actually, when we... And this was only a handful of years ago. Not even. It wasn't fully integrated yet. No. So it wasn't fully integrated. You could buy things on Instagram, but I also started an Instagram account. We weren't really Twittering yet. And then also, it was on the website. But mainly on Facebook, because I feel like... Actually, maybe this was just my experience... Uh, the leaps and bounds that Facebook has made with uh, allowing people to be content providers is so much more tactile now. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, it was a little... I felt like I was breaking into the matrix. Maybe it's because I just started. Well, no, it, was, it wasn't It was as user-friendly as it is now. Yes. Because they were really focused on catering to large brands instead of small ones. Yes. And so when they started to kind of open that up a little more, then they had to be a lot more responsible for being user-friendly. And they also had like a bunch of case studies and there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can really learn to use the different ad products. But prior to that, with bigger companies, in order to have that knowledge, you had to have a minimum spin, at which point they give you a Facebook brand rep that you would go to who would handle that for you. Answers, ladies and gentlemen, Hassan Saeed, answers. So we started with the teaser, finally announced the title legally, and then people were like, yay. It was a limited engagement. So then we instantly started with that quantifiable fear of missing out psychology of this is a new event. This show is going to be an experience. You only have X amount of times to check out this show. Literally, I think it was, we even went into numbers. It was only 60 seats a night. You only had six chances to see the show. You know, 2,500 years ago, a story was told. So setting up the consumer or the possible patron for one, there's all this data coming to you of like, oh, this is a tale as old as time. Uh, I, I only have this chance to see it. Then we announced pre-sale. And then I dropped the bomb of the price. When that shit happened, I got a lot of views on the price. And there was sort of a standstill. So I waited. And then we started. In- so when you got the standstill, right? Yeah. Talk, so let's talk more about that. So you finally get this big build up, right? Like yes. people, you, you, your viewers are going up. People were sharing it. They were interested. I'm sure they were reaching out to you personally. Be like, yes. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then you say, and it's $50. And General then admission. crickets. There, How did you feel? Well, there were crickets initially. So, like, what was going through your mind at that point? Well, did you did you freak out a little bit? Did you get a little like, oh my god, is this too much? Well, like anything where people are, if the audience isn't there, the show doesn't exist. Of yeah. course, you know, I it's like that whole joke where Celine Dion, you know, is like tonight is maybe the night they do not come. Um, that's a Kathy Griffin thing. <laughs> uh, but you know, I thought maybe I'd like to think they came. You know, and I even I even Me thought too. low. I was like, you know, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. We can't have nice things. We just can't have nice things. We can't do it. Why? I don't understand. Um, but yes, yeah, so I thought maybe they're not going to come. And I kind of, frankly, 
let that ride. I kept berating people then with the fact that uh, it was limited amount of time. That part of the campaign was a big part of it. Now, I will say this. Here's what happened. When there were crickets, then I started, I wouldn't say flooding in the sense of a monsoon, but certainly coming for the people who were actually tuned in, is what I call it, with content. So thus began... So essentially, you had to start justifying that price to the people Justifying the price, exactly. I had a brilliant director of photography, and so we just had dope images. I started even a campaign with just the actors using their headshots and like break, like Creon, and it would say, you know, leader, uh, Antigone, zealot. And it was like these very stylized uh, images, so you started getting a feel of what this piece is going to be. Then there were more pictures happening, and then right about a month before the show opened, three weeks maybe even, no, about a month, we released a trailer that we actually shot on site, and it wasn't even a scene from the show. It was the prelude to what led Antigone to finding her brother unburied in public just to be eaten by eagles. So that whole little mini movie set people up for the experience. And when I tell you that the push after that of ticket selling was crazy, then we had a holiday, I believe it was like a 4th of July uh, weekend discount code. We sold just under, I'd say 30% of our entire run that weekend. Wow. People were like, all right, because what was happening is I was starting the Morse code of what this experience was going to be. And people were interested. And they were like, you know what? If you knock 20 bucks off that, I'll come. And when we finally had that and you only had three days, people went off. And I remember realizing it was working. Then I just kept going back into, oh, there's only so much time. There's only so much time to see this show. And tickets sold. They just kept selling after that. And then once the trailer hit and there was an, a visual aesthetic of the experience and not just like a clip from the show... That really kind of opened up the floodgates, and we basically sold out. So I wanted to talk about— I mean, about, I know that was kind of like all over the place, and I wasn't and I think as— Because well, the thing you have to remember, too, is that Aaron is recounting this, but there's so many steps, and there's so many things that he is figuring out as he went, which you just have to yes. do because you have to constantly be monitoring the content and how people are responding, and sometimes you have to pivot as a result of the actions that people take or they didn't take. And I should also say that within that campaign, I A-B tested, and I think that for smaller groups and companies like what we're doing, we feel like— I don't have time for that. You absolutely do. Mm -hmm. Within the campaign, I started this whole royal family thing to see if that would play. And people kind of weren't having it. Mm. It got some hits, but I kept going forward with the aesthetic. And that's really what got people in. So that was the first experience. But what was fucking amazing, the whole summation of this was as much as there's a little bit of like fog in the way I've recounted this. God damn it. For a new company, this is unheard of. 75% of our ticket sales were pre-sale. That is fucking shocking. Like when I said that to people as a new young producer who was learning by total default, people were shocked. Yeah. They're like, excuse me? You sold like literally just under 80% of your ticket sales came from online conversion? And that is almost unheard of. And I think that speaks to the quality of the content that you produce to push it. So I'd like to talk less about, because those numbers are important, but I'd like to talk less about those numbers, and let's talk more about 
the content and your process there. Perfect. But before we do that, I'm sure we all need to have a little bit more coffee and some water. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be right back. We're going to hydrate? Yep. Be back in a second. Be back in a second. Hassan and I recently were talking about CW Charmed. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so. But we really were. But we really were. But one thing that does interest us is you. 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 We want to know more about you, We want to know more about you, dear listeners. We want to hear about your hustle, and we want to know what questions, insights, or feedback you have. Yeah, we want to be able to help you directly. Because, um, you know, we spend a lot of time shouting to these mics, but we don't really get the feedback from the other way. So we want to know what questions do you have? We have a, several years and several verticals of experience between us. Se- just a couple years. You, you We're know? just off of freshly being 21. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. But, you know. So, uh, school what, was hard. Yeah, school was hard. Um, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't sit at the certain tables. Anyway, okay. So you, what you can do is you can email us at info at creativehustlepodcast.com. Or you can tweet us at HustlePod on yes. Twitter. Tweet us at the HustlePod on Twitter and ask away. Also, while you're at it, feel free to go onto the iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and rate and review us. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And also, if you give us a question and we answer it on the air, please send us your website and what your hustle is. And we will definitely give you a shout out and uh, shout out your handle. And there you go. You can let your friends get in on the discussion. Free promo, y'all. Free Free promo. promo. Free promo. We'll talk to you soon. We've had coffee, we've had water, and we're back. So Professor Salazar was walking you through his entire life I, in, of an in like the most California <laughs> way possible. I was like looking at the sun with a mic in my hand, looking crazy, and just talking to you uh, in a stream of conscious sort of way. But let's get down to brass tacks and focus on what lessons I learned from that first show. I applied tenfold to the cooping theory. Right. So I feel like the cooping theory is really the time when you had like some real clear strategy and how you're going to use the content to, to grab people and to keep them interested. Cause you had a break yes. from when you, when you opened yeah. and there was a break in the middle and then you brought it back. Yeah. We had to rebrand the back, show. <laughs> it was more successful than the first time. Yes. Which rarely happens. And I yes. think that can be attributed to the content marketing that you did. Thank you. And I will say, I, I clearly, it, it just did. This, I'm saying that without any ego. There, there were a couple crystal clear things that I knew I had to do for this show. I knew that I had to treat it as if it was going to be the most successful thing in the world and make sure that, obviously, Poseidon Theater Company is the umbrella in which these shows happen, but this was our first original property, and so I wanted to brand it as such. So there was a very thought-out process about the actual physical aesthetic of the show, the show title, making sure that we were, I was committed to a certain design element that never changed so that, well, like different imagery behind the actual name, the cooping theory who killed Edgar Allan Poe, a paranormal experience. It initially started off as a ghost story, but let's, let's break it down to real minutia. The cooping theory had a font. I never wavered from that font. Mm. It had a color code. I never wavered from that color code. The subtitle, Who Killed Edgar Allan Poe, had its own font and its own color code. And then the sub-subheader, <laughs> A Paranormal Experience, or A Ghost Story, depending on what campaign you're looking at, was all always in the same font. Not to get so detail-oriented with that, but I, I can't help but think the fact that there was a crystal clear new property, a new show, and I treated this like a product... So the first thing you were saying really is uh, 
consistency. Brand identity and consistency. Yes. And this is where Hassan is a fucking succinct genius. And I do theater. Um, so, yes. Branding identity and consistency was something that was unwavering in this process. There was an initial... It doesn't even matter. There was an A-B test. And I was like, well, that doesn't even look... I don't like that. And then from there, I committed. And it... I really think elevated the show to something more than some of its parts. And also because it was a high ticket price, people believed because everywhere they went, they saw it. Mm-hmm. All right. And, and, it, it, and it really gave you a feeling of what you're going to get when you get there. Exactly. The experience began with the aesthetic of the brand and the content and the content. And then using, um, as we've spoken of in another episode, my website as a portal, I created a sub brand called knock three times because the show literally started at a speakeasy door and you knock three times and the show starts. That's the beginning of your experience. So we created a sub domain that took you to the Poseidon Theater Company website where uh, the experience began of what you were to what you were going to expect with the cooping theory. So basically the content of that was just laying out with in no uncertain terms everything that you were gonna expect at the same time, leaving total a total mystery about what actually is going to happen once this meeting starts. And so keeping that whole energy going, I think was key to the success of that show and people buying tickets from pre-sale. So there, this is the prime example of content equaling conversion because people had all the information across all the platforms. It was all the same brand identity and consistency. Can you talk more about what you did? So we talked about sort of the way you built out the website and the pages there. Yeah. What other kind of content did you create and what did that look like? Meaning other social platforms? Mm-hmm. So like there, were you creating videos? Were you doing, like what, what was the actual pieces of content that, well, were, that were being shared? Well, first we had the, there was the initial image because Edgar Allan Poe, what is the star of the show? So initially we started with this classic image of him. We would push his face. Then when we had our photo shoot, we elevated it to sort of like more iconography that you would see like on a Broadway poster of like people actually in action shots from the show. Super fucking stylized. It was shot by a brilliant photographer, Johannes Oberman. Then what I started doing, actually thanks to Hassan, you know, showing me that on different platforms like Instagram, you can actually have a whole other storyline happening. I started doing these handmade videos using just normal filters because the show is grainy and it's all in the dark, more or less, uh, to kind of create little moments of mystery that would become new content for Instagram, for Facebook. So you shot little vignettes. Little vignettes that weren't really even the show. Then Hassan came in and shot what became our teaser. And the teaser, once again, isn't even footage of the show show. It's all happening in space. It's all costumes. It's in, it's in the venue. But it was really more about the energy of the piece. Uh, so that happened, and that really pushed us over the edge, too. I, I have to say, I probably don't sound as articulate as Hassan would about, would about this because I was very much coming from the example of someone who was looking at this also as the director of the piece and wanting the content to actually feel like the show without showing you the show. So there was mystery. So I wonder actually if my example is specific, but I think that it's very important when we're making these creative products and experiences for people that you're really thinking through the overall energy of what it is you're selling. And I believe that the fact that that energy was so apparent in everything you looked at or tapped on or touched 
is what made people actually buy the ticket. But I think that's what the benefit of was you doing it because you were the director. So you'd already you'd already mapped out the show. You thought through all these beats and all these moments. Those were they're physically in your body. Yeah. So in order to create the content, it's not like you in other situations. Um, you have to kind of explain what it is that you want or you're feeling to a third party yes. to sort of develop that. But when you're doing it yourself and you're close to the story and the heartbeat of it, it's going to be a lot easier to kind of break it down and say, okay, yeah. I, want, I want to capture this moment, but I don't want to give this actual moment away. So what, what is the accoutrement around this moment, right? Like, yes, yes. What is the feeling? What is the vibe? Like what, if I were watching at this point, what am I supposed to be feeling? Yes, 100%. And actually, th- I didn't even think about this because it was such a, it was such a small, I'm not going to say, um, it was one of the less successful aspects of when I tried to do a weird sub brand mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember this so in the summertime we were running and it was kind of hot the premise is that these kids have a edgar Allan poe club invite you to the 100 year anniversary of his death and it's a party so you eat you drink and that's the pre-show and then the meeting begins during the summertime there's a beautiful garden upstairs in this space so we created this whole sub brand of virginia's brunch and it was popular but I remember people being confused because they were like, wait, is Virginia's brunch the cooping theory? And it wasn't clear to everyone because because actually this is sort of a a happy conflict. Everything was so fucking crystal clear that when I changed aesthetics with even the fonting, the font, the fonting, the font of Virginia's brunch, people were confused as to what show is this? Is Virginia's brunch its own show? And I think that was a clear example of I strayed from the path to try to sell tickets to what I should have just said. You is had the, a formula. I should have just said, hey, this is the fucking matinee. And instead of being cooped up downstairs, you're going to eat upstairs and you're going to have brunch. Yeah. Fuck it. I could have just done that. But I thought, well, let me see if I could, you know, and people got confused. Mm. So there Messaging you, is important. Messaging is important. So there you go. But I actually, within that, I would say to anyone that's actually in a place where I'm at, where we are really pushing our content literally through our own fingers, I think it would behoove of you to not be afraid to maybe experiment within your brand identity and see what sticks to the wall. Because I'm glad I learned that that way. That way I I made a little left and then I got right back on track Mm. and we pushed forward. So let's move ahead now. God damn it. Um, So we came back for Halloween. Mm -hmm. I merely called it the cooping theory. Halloween edition. <laughs> I was keeping like, it simple. Keeping it simple. Because I mean, what are we going to say? It's a paranormal experience. It's right. happening now. The ghosts October. are back. Yeah, the ghosts Redux. are back, bitch. It's, it's October time. Time to go to do fun, spooky things and drink cocktails and watch people get possessed by ghosts. I mean, it's, it's done. You said you started that show in the summer, right? So the show started in the summer. Do you think that maybe yeah. people weren't, weren't as apt to catch on because it was the middle of the summer? Well, no. What happened was is we were selling like fucking gangbusters, but then everyone went to the Hamptons and Fire Island. People went out of town. People went out of fucking town. And let's call a spade a spade. This is where I had to know the market. Glenn Close's performance was available for like 40 bucks. Oh, in Sunset Boulevard. At yes. The time. She was in Broadway, because yeah. the Palace Theater is so fucking huge. There were always like $38 seats because it's just hard to fill. Yeah. And so because of that... She wasn't the only one. There were a couple other things playing where you could go see a damn celebrity for 40 bucks. Well, well, summer is also the slowest time on Broadway, so that's when all the slashes happen, and yep. they're trying to get those tourists in the seats. And we were on the same third-party ticketing application, Today Ticks, which I, which I love. 
and they act absolutely are paramount to the success of our ticket sales. You know, people were scrolling through and I would have been the same way in the summertime. It's hot. I would rather maybe go see someone famous for the same price as this new show that looks cool, but I can actually even stay in Midtown because mm-hmm. this one you had to go to Williamsburg. So then when we came back for the fall, going into that experience was cozy. People are more willing to travel. And we were just fighting. We actually, were, you know what it was? We were actually completely inside of our own market because we had a holiday atmosphere about us. We just became a thing to do. Right, during that at, time. During that time. So we weren't even, people were like, oh, I'm going to go to sleep no more. I'm going to go to this. Oh, we'll go to that new Edgar Allan Poe show. We can have cocktails and food too. So we just became part of that. What's interesting though is I spent less money. I spent way less money on marketing and just kind of rode on the initial brand identity, added a sub little font of Halloween edition in a very specific orange that like red on all platforms and looked a little spooky. It was a little on the nose. What are you going to do? And that fucking shit sold like gangbusters with less money invested in the fucking initial advertising Mm. because people said they missed it the first time and at a fucking higher ticket price. And honestly, it was resting mainly on the laurels of the experience starting for people fucking like nine months before. And the fact that people had been thinking to themselves, oh, this looks cool. Oh, shit. They're going to close on Halloween. And I think that all is a testament to consistent content. That equaled into conversion of people fucking buying tickets, getting on a goddamn train, and coming to this experience. Mm. So that was the lesson I learned. And as someone who's artistic and not the most articulate when I talk about this business side of things, because I sort of go into a weird trance. I do think that it's an important thing to know that you are capable of creating something that actually will make you money and using your skills and your editing and your taste level to create content that will equal into money. Yeah. I think that what's being lost though, because you know, Aaron, I'm not going to say that he's humble, but um, you bitch. Um, it's not, he hears not, me off mic. That's not what As I, we literally what I both say. are physically fanning ourselves. But he's he's saying that he's not articulating it well, but I think what he is articulating, what he doesn't realize is that he's gotten very granular and detailed with every piece that went out and every step of the way, which is why he's able to, to, to recount it so vividly. And that's kind of what you have to do. 98% of us don't have the benefit of being able to hire an agency yeah, or a consultant for to Christ's walk sake. us through these things and to, and to lay it out for Especially us. Especially when we're editing our budget and we're like, yo, I, you, you have to figure out where you can compartmentalize expenses mm-hmm. so that you're not actually ever taking away from the experience that people are buying, be it a product, be it a show. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I'm going to counterpoint that a little bit. If you're going to have expenses, some of that money is going to have to go to the marketing, right? Well, like no, you're going exactly. to have to, you're, no, you're yes. going to, have to pony up a little I, bit. At some no, point. I want to be clear about something. I paid for the fucking social media marketing. I paid for the hits. I paid for campaigns. It was the most money I ever spent. I paid for a publicist. Yeah. So, no, there were things that definitely were paid for. So, don't think that that's an excuse to not go full out but, with your content. But the flip side of that is yes. there are too many people who spend a lot of money on the marketing and the hype, and then you get to the experience and it's lackluster as a Word. result. Well, and you know, that might also just be something that's fucking lost in translation. And I think this is also another example of if you are so lucky to have a budget, to have someone other third party physically crank out the content of your marketing, you need to be on that shit 
every step of the way. Mm. That way, if something's making a left, you can say no and keep in the direction of your brand and your experience. And you're going to have to pivot sometimes. Yeah. 100%. All, all the time, really. We, and, and, and as an example, it didn't even harm me. We went through several iterations of a ghost story, a paranormal experience, an intimate ghost story, because we were trying to see what would stick to the wall. Now, that was via my publicist. I will say, though, a detail as stupid as this sounds, as never changing the color and the font of that little sub-description, I think visually never even a fucking affected anyone. Yeah. We never got called out on it. We finally settled on a paranormal experience. But I, I can't help but think that making sure, though, that when people look through it, there's no crazy changes, and people are like, what the fuck is this show? Everything was the same. Like Miss Saigon, Cameron McIntosh's shit, right? He was the one that started that iconography of Broadway posters the way it is now. A mask, mm -hmm. a little girl, a flag, a helicopter made out of a language. Yeah. And within that, he uses the same typesettings to do little sub-campaigns. And But we're always still looking at Les Mis. We're always still looking at Phantom. We're always still looking at Miss Saigon. Mm -hmm. So there's something to be said about that. Hassan does the exact same thing with all his products. His brand identity and the fonts and the colors are always consistent so that the experience is all inside that, dare I say, house. <laughs> they all live in the same house. So that's, that's our example. We're both literally dripping with sweat. It is finally summertime in New York City. Oh, if you heard a fan in the background earlier, it was just us trying not to melt even more. And if you hear anything else in the background, it's because Harlan's dope. Yeah, People are living their lives. Exactly. It's busy. But we want to thank you for joining us today. I hope that hearing Aaron's journey through the content marketing of a show is it gives you a better idea of the ways that you can really take the reins and to move through with your own projects and understand that you have so many more choices than maybe you think you do at any given moment. Absolutely. And when in doubt, make sure that you remember why you started this journey. Trust your instincts and trust your taste level. It is your bread and butter and it's who you are. Yeah. So everyone, make sure to like, rate, and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Creative Hustle Podcast. And like we always say, don't get it perfect, get it going. Yes.